Luke chapter 1, as we'll be looking at verses 57 uh, through 66 uh, together this morning, as we consider the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of a forerunner. Before we begin to look at the text together this morning, let's uh, just stop one more time again and uh, commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord, we uh, come before you in these moments and we ask for your help that we would uh, know your word rightly, that we would listen well to the truth that you have before us here in the passage that we've come to this morning, uh, and that we would be changed by the power of your word before us and your spirit within us. Lord, if there's anyone in this place this morning who has yet to put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would move in their lives this morning, draw them to yourself. God, I pray that your spirit would help us, that the message that I have prepared, Lord, would be one that is is honoring to you, that you would allow us to hear what is true and right, that you would guard us from error, uh, that you would help us in spite of my weaknesses as a preacher, in spite of our weaknesses as listeners, uh, that we would be able by the power of your Spirit this morning to listen well, that we would um, sit under your word, Lord, as truth, remove distractions from this place, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable before you this morning. Amen. The name Aaron Ralston um, probably doesn't mean much to many of you. Um, You probably are familiar with his story, though. He is a mountaineer, adventurer, and in 2003, he went on a solo hike through... Um, a park in Utah all alone by himself out in the middle of nowhere and uh, he was uh, hiking through this uh, crevice that had been worn out by the rainwater there in the sandstone there in Utah Um, and as he's hiking through this this um, crevice there was a boulder that was above him that as he's walking through the boulder fell and pinned his arm against the wall, and he was trapped there uh, for about five days because he couldn't remove his arm. No one came to help him. He was all alone out in the middle of nowhere. No one knew that he was on this trip. He liked to go out all by himself, wouldn't tell people where he went. Uh, And so he was trapped, and what he had to do, if you know the story, is he had to amputate his own arm put on a tourniquet, hike out about seven miles, rappel down a 65-foot rock face uh, to safety. He's alive and well today. Uh, and for anyone who's ever been trapped in the wilderness, that is a, an experience that will be with you for the rest of your life, very transformative for your emotions, for your, uh, your mental state. It transformed you. But for Aaron, it transformed him physically. He came out of that situation physically changed, never to be the same. 
we all have moments in life of transformation where we can look back to a certain event in life that has shaped us to a certain extent. And this is most certainly true when God takes hold of our lives and we turn to Christ in faith and repentance. If you are truly in Christ this morning, transformation is certain. You should bear the marks of redemption if you're in Christ. In the passage that we come to this morning, Luke chapter 1, verses 57 uh, through 66, we see that the work of God in the lives of his people is transformative. If you would begin with me there in verse 57 as we read just the first two verses here. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. In these first two verses, the opening verses to this section of the story in Luke's gospel, under this umbrella truth that the work of God in the lives of his people is transformative, we are taught here to rejoice with those who rejoice. There are four words that you see there in verse 57. She bore a son. Uh, And in these four words alone, there is most definitely reason to rejoice. If you've ever had a child, you know there's much rejoicing that comes with that. If you know of a friend or a family member who has a child, it is easy to rejoice at the birth of a new baby. But there's something especially unique about Elizabeth's situation for them and for her, all those who had gathered with her on this day, to rejoice. And so if you will, much like in a movie where you're in a current present scene and you flash back to something that happened before, if you would, look back at Luke chapter 1 in verses 5 through 7. And we learn here a little bit more about Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, who is a priest. And Luke tells us here at the beginning of of chapter 1 in verse 6 that Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were righteous and holy people. And yet in verse 7, he tells us they have a unique situation. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, if you're familiar with the, the narrative of Scripture, this is a common uh, part to the story of the Bible. We see many women in Scripture who are barren and without child. And here, much like Sarah and Abraham were in the Old Testament, uh, when the birth of Isaac was foretold, they too were advanced in years. This is the state that Elizabeth finds herself in. So not only are they rejoicing in the fact that she gave birth to a son, but she gave birth to a son when she was barren and advanced in years. And in this, we see that God is at work. You notice there that it says in verse 58 that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. There's something miraculous that is taking place here, more even than a woman in old age having a child. We flash back again to earlier in chapter 1 in verses 8 through 17, and Luke tells us that the father, Zechariah, who was a priest, went to the temple for his duty and his service there in the temple for this day. And in verse 9, it says that by lot, that had, he had been chosen by lot to enter the temple of 
the Lord. And so just for someone who's reading this in a general sense, they might think that this is just happenstance that Zechariah finds himself in the temple on this particular day. But we know in the providence and sovereignty of God, this is no mistake. And so Zechariah, he enters into the temple to prepare the sacrifice on the altar of incense. And it tells us there that an angel appeared to him. And in verse 12, it says that fear fell upon him. Now, if you're familiar with the the Christmas story here at the beginning of Luke's gospel, you know that fear is a theme. And so fear comes upon Zechariah, and the angel says to him not to be afraid, because there in verse 13, it says, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. We can relate to this. We've all been in seasons of life where we have godly desires and we ask the Lord to answer our prayer. And we see here that Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying for a child. And so the angel comes and says, you will bear a son. But again, there's more to the story. Verse 14, the angel said, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. The angel here is telling of one who is coming, as we know, John, who would be the forerunner to Messiah. God is doing something far greater here than simply bringing life to an old couple. This is no ordinary child that the angel is speaking of here. Uh, As is the case throughout Scripture, the miraculous is pointing to something far greater. And this is the fulfillment of a prophecy. John would be the final prophet to prepare the way for Messiah. We see prophets throughout the Old Testament, and yet in this time, in the nation of Israel, there has been a season of silence. The Lord has not spoken to the people. No prophet has come. And yet the Old Testament said that there would be one who would come to prepare the way for this Messiah. We see this prophecy spoken of in Isaiah chapter 40. If you would, you can turn with me if you'd like to Isaiah chapter 40 verses 3 through 5. And there we see this prophecy of the forerunner of John the Baptist coming. It says there in Isaiah 40, verse 3, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We return to Luke's gospel, where in chapter 3, he mentions here this prophecy and how it relates directly to John the Baptist. Back in Luke chapter 3, verse 4, it says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. What we see here happening in the story is that God himself is about to come on the scene. And John is coming into the world to prepare the people for his coming, this final prophet. And so we see that there's more happening here behind the scenes. But again, I I draw your attention to the response of those who had gathered there on that day with Elizabeth. 
the neighbors, the relatives, and friends, at the end of verse 58, what does it say? They rejoiced with her. Now, at this point in the story, we're not sure if their rejoicing was in the magnitude of the situation, of the prophecy of John coming. Most likely, at this point in the story, they're simply rejoicing in the fact that their friend has had a child in her old age, that God has been gracious to her. Now, Elizabeth knows more, as we'll see here in a moment in the story, as we read further. So maybe she shared with her friends, but we don't want to read too much into the narrative. We don't want to assume too much. But what we see here, regardless, is that their response is fitting. They're rejoicing in the mercy God has shown in the life of their friend. And we are reminded here that we too should rejoice with those who rejoice. This idea, though, of rejoicing with those who rejoice is oftentimes very hard for us to do. Uh, I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son uh, that Luke tells of later in Luke chapter 15 of the son that you know uh, asked for his father to give him his inheritance early and he went off and lived in sin and rebellion and squandered his wealth. And he came to a moment of realization that he had rebelled against his father and he repents, returns to his father. And as a good father does, the father welcomes him in and wants to hold a feast for him. And in that story, we're introduced to a third character, the other son, the brother of the prodigal son, who is not happy about this. And he questions his father and says, Father, why on earth would you hold a feast for this one who had rebelled against you in such a way? It's hard for him to rejoice in this moment of rejoicing. We would think that it would always be easy for us to rejoice with those who God is blessing and and transforming their lives, but again, this is oftentimes hard for us to do. Maybe you can relate. Maybe a friend has had a baby while you struggle with infertility. That's a hard situation to rejoice in. Maybe you see people around you who are experiencing healing from disease and sickness while you suffer from an illness that you will have for the rest of your life. As we enter into this Christmas season, a season of rejoicing, for some of you in this place this morning, this is a difficult time of year because you have lost loved ones in this past year. And the Christmas trees and the decorations remind you of their loss. It's hard for you to rejoice. And yet, as Christians this morning, we affirm that all blessings in life come from God. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we rejoice with others, it isn't simply because we're happy for them, but because we celebrate the fact that God works in the lives of his people. This is something that is in our church covenant, that we covenant together, promise together as as Calvary Hills Baptist Church, that we will weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And this is not something we can do in and of our own selves. This is something that God allows for us to do in the Spirit. So again, we're reminded this morning to rejoice with those who rejoice. Our story here, though, in Luke does not end in verse 58. Their rejoicing will be turned then to amazement. We pick up in verse 59, if you'd follow along with me there in Luke chapter 1. It says, And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. 
They said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. In these five verses, we see that we need to be people who expect God to work unexpectedly. The people gather here on this particular day, the eighth day, to circumcise this child with a lot of expectations. But God was working out something far greater in their midst. Notice all the times that the writer uses the word they to express the expectations that the people had, the neighbors and the relatives, when they gathered on this day. Uh, Verse 58, they rejoiced. Verse 59, they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him Zechariah. Verse 60, they said to the mother, none of your relatives is called by this name. Verse 62, they made signs to his father. And then there at the end of verse 63, they all wondered. Again, they have a lot of expectations. First, it says they came to the circumcision. This would have been tradition for the Israelite people on the eighth day, according to Genesis 17, to come and circumcise the male child. And so these people assembled on this day just as their ancestors had done for centuries to worship the Lord in the rite of circumcision. Uh, This would have been done publicly, much like baptism is in our day where we make a public profession of faith and we gather before the church in the the ordinance of baptism. They gather together just as they had done uh, for, for, for many years as the people of God to celebrate the rite of circumcision. John Calvin, I love what he has to say in his commentary of this. He said, On the eighth day, from a sense of duty or from curiosity, as is customary on such occasions, some people assembled. But God takes occasion from it to make them witnesses and spectators of his power and glory. Again, they came with expectations. It says there, they would have called him Zechariah. For whatever reason, the writer does not tell us, the name of the child has not yet been revealed. And so, as would have been tradition, they assume that the child will just be named after his father, that his name will be Zechariah. Then it says that the mother, Elizabeth, responds with, no, he shall be called John. Why is this? Because the angel came to the father and said that his name will be John. We see here that Zechariah had communicated with Elizabeth that they were going to name the child John, and yet they they reply to her and say, none of your relatives is called by this. Verse 61, they said to her, where do you get this name John from, they say to her. Then they, they shoot her down because she is a woman. And in this time, in this day, they think that the father should speak to this. So they turn their attention to the father. There, verse 62, they made signs to him, trying to communicate him about the situation. And so we say to ourselves, what's wrong with Zechariah? Why do they have to make signs and, and, and try to communicate with him in such a way? Well, we flash back again to earlier in chapter 1. In verse 18, Zechariah encounters this angel, and notice what he says to the angel in verse 18. He says, how shall I know this? For I am a man of 
old age, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel responds to him in verse 19 and says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. In other words, Gabriel says to Zechariah, look, buddy, I just came from the very throne room of God himself, and you want to question me? And so the angel punishes him there in verse 20. It says, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so the reason that they have to talk and communicate with the Father in such a way with these signs is because he is mute, and some commentators even believe he's deaf because of his unbelief to the message that God had sent to him. And so it says there in verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet and he agrees with the mother in obedience to the message from God that his name will be John. And it says there, they all wondered at this. It is no mistake that Zechariah's mouth then opens here. The angel said this would happen whether it's because he shows an expression of obedience to God by saying, yes, his name will be John, regardless of why his mouth opens in this moment, it is no mistake that he can tell them of the miraculous thing that has come to him from heaven. This announcement from heaven that his son will be named John. If they didn't know before at this point in the story, they know now. They know of the uniqueness of this child's birth. Everything they thought would happen and should happen when they came to this circumcision celebration was overthrown by God's transformative plan in their lives. Again, we should expect God to do the unexpected in our lives. In Psalm 19, verse 21, It says, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 27, 1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This is fitting application for us as we come to the end of another year. In the coming year, there are plans to be had. But we're reminded this morning to temper our expectations and our plans for life with the purposes and the will of the Lord. Make no mistake about it, we should be intentional and purposeful and prayerful in our planning. Planning for our family's future, planning for our church's future. Uh, Tonight we get a, a little glimpse of that as we meet as a church to discuss the budget for the coming year of 2023. A lot of planning and intentionality and prayer has gone into that budget and we will meet tonight and discuss the budget and rightfully so. But my prayer in the midst of that discussion is for unity because at the at the end of tonight after that vote takes place on the budget and we wake up in the morning that budget is merely numbers on a page. We do not know what God has in store for us in the coming year. 
The call for us as the people of God and as believers is to simply be faithful. Faithful to whatever circumstances we face in this life. He wants us to be faithful. As we think about a budget for a coming year, it is possible for us to be faithful in our giving and give well beyond the budget for the coming year to the praise of God. But I would like us to consider it's also possible for us to be faithful in our giving to the ministry of this church and fall short of the budget. God wants us simply to be faithful in our giving of our time and our money to this place, knowing as we give to this place, we don't just simply give to keep the lights on, but we give that the gospel might advance here in San Antonio and to the ends of the earth, that we would be faithful no matter what we face in this life. Their expectations, though, uh, being shaken by the moment and the events of the day, shift then to wonder and reverence and fear, Look with me at the last two verses here in our passage this morning. It says, And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And these final two verses were reminded to revere the power of God. And there's three particular phrases I want us to highlight as we close here that teach us about this type of reverence and fear that we need to have for the Lord. The first phrase is there, fear came on all the neighbors. Again, there's a, there's a sense of fear in the story of Christmas. Later, we see the angels afraid when, the, or the, the shepherds afraid when the angels come to them. We talked about fear a few weeks ago a fear that is true and right before the Lord, a, a fear that Martin Luther called filial fear, a, a, a fear that a child has for their, their parent, a desire to honor them and respect them with all that they say and do, a reverent fear that transforms every area of our lives. And speaking of the fear here in verse 65, again, Calvin in his commentary has something very profound to say of this. He says, This fear mentioned by Luke proceeded from a feeling of divine power. For the works of God ought to be contemplated by us with such reverence as to affect our minds with seriousness. God does not amuse us with his miracles, but arouses the senses of men which he perceives to be in a dormant state. We see many miracles throughout the Gospels. And the miracles were meant not for our amusement, but rather to point us to the glory of God. And as you read through the Gospels, we see that there were many people who were simply amused and entertained by the miracles of Christ. And so we're reminded here this morning as the fear came upon all of them that gathered in that place this morning as we are in this Christmas season that we would look at the birth of the Savior, this miraculous virgin birth with reverence and awe and fear. May we be a people who are not simply amused by a a cute, cuddly baby who was laid in a bed of straw, but that we would be people who are humbled at the coming of a king. 
That that baby that laid in that manger possessed the full nature of man, but also the full nature of God, that God himself came near to us. It's very easy in our day to simply be entertained by the miraculous that happened in that manger. But we're reminded this morning to be humbled by the coming of a king. The second phrase I want us to see here in these closing two verses is that all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. Interestingly, this is very similar to the language that we see later in chapter 2, verse 19, in Mary's response to the shepherds coming to see Jesus. In verse 19, it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, the words there in the Greek are not the same as what we see here in verse 66, but the idea is the same. It is good for us to stop and think on the things of God. We need to meditate on who God is and think about who Christ is. But my challenge to you this morning is to not simply stop there in an intellectual sense to consider the baby in the manger. The question for each of us this morning is, what will you do with the baby in the manger? What will you do with this God-man who grew in favor and stature with God and man and lived a sinless life and died on a cross and rose from the grave? What will you do with him this morning? C.S. Lewis famously talked about how the claims that Jesus made about himself, that he was God and the redeemer of the world, left us with three options in answering this question. What do you do with Jesus this morning? Lewis said that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was indeed king of kings. He was either out to deceive, he was either a crazy person, or he was indeed who he said he was. So again, what will you do with Jesus. See, many people ponder the idea of Jesus in our day, but they never give their lives to him and faith and repentance. Don't stop at the manger. Don't stop by just simply giving thought to a story. Know the Jesus of the Bible this morning. Believe in him alone as your Lord and Savior. Revere him as King of kings and Lord of lords. Finally, the last phrase I want to highlight here in, in response to the reverence we are to have to God is where it says there, the hand of the Lord was with him, there at the end of verse 66, and speaking of John. It was very clear and evident to everyone who had gathered there in that place this morning that God was at work in the life of this newborn baby. The word hand there is what we call anthropomorphism. That's just a fancy way of saying that the writers will oftentimes use uh, things like hands and mouth and, and eyes and ears to communicate a, uh, something about God and his nature and what he's working. And here, the word hand is used to express that the grace of God was clearly evident in the life of this baby. This is no ordinary baby that has come onto the scene. Something was different about him. If you will, allow me one last time to quote Calvin here. He says of this, The expression, for the hand of the Lord was with him, denotes that the power of God was as fully manifested as if his hand had been visibly seen, so that all who were there readily acknowledged the presence of God in the life of John. 
I wonder this morning, when people look at your life, do they see the presence of God? Is the divine miracle of salvation evident in your life? Do they see a transformed life? The miraculous gift of salvation that we know and cherish this morning is far more miraculous than the birth of John the Baptist. Oftentimes people will say, I I really wish my testimony was more of that of the drug addict who was addicted to drugs and alcohol and they came to faith in Christ and then they never did drugs and alcohol again. Man, if my testimony was like that, I would have a powerful testimony. And yet, if you are in Christ this morning, your testimony is a testimony of the miraculous. That your heart of stone has been turned to a heart of flesh. That your feet have been brought out of the miry clay and set upon a solid rock. That you have been brought from death into life. This is the miracle of the gospel that has taken hold of us in this place this morning. And when people look at your lives, do they see a life that has been transformed by this miraculous gift of salvation? Does your life speak in a way to those around you of reverence and awe of God? Again, we're reminded in this story that the work of God in the lives of his people is transformative. And so as we close this morning, I I want to just present one final question to you. Has your life been transformed by the power of the gospel? Maybe you're here this morning and you have been going to church your entire life. You've prayed all of the prayers. You've done all of the Bible studies. You've memorized uh, the the books of the Bible and and verses and all of these things, and yet you've never come to a a point in your life where you have turned to Christ alone as your Lord and Savior and believed in him and turned from your sin and followed after him. Maybe this morning you're here and you've never heard the story of John the Baptist. You've, you've, you know of the, the story of the manger and the baby that's there, but you've never heard that Christ grew from that baby into a man who would die on a cross in your place. And that if you believe in him this morning, you can have life eternal. Has your life been transformed by this gospel message? As we close our time this morning, my prayer is is that you would seek to know this Jesus according to scripture. And that you would indeed give your life completely to him as your Lord and your master. Let's pray.